When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Monday Buckeye Talk. Ugly Marie, State the Bear, Stephen Means. Talk to Ryan Day on Monday morning. We're going to talk about that. We have not had a podcast since the Saturday open practice that Stephen was at, where they did about an hour of actual stuff that's worth talking about. And Thad Mata has been hired as the head coach of Butler Basketball. We have a survey out to our tech subscribers. We'll talk a little basketball with Thad, with Chris Holtman at the end of this podcast. If you don't really care about basketball, you can bail. But we also will have the leaders going into Monday night, national championship game of our Buckeye Talk bracket, 300 plus people in that. Who's going to win? Who's going to earn the right to be on this podcast? Um, always exciting. And uh, also exciting. I am, have a doctor's appointment on Tuesday morning to ask why I've been coughing for six weeks. So maybe that will finally fix this broken old body of mine. I would like to start off with something very quickly. And I know people sometimes like the nonsense. Sometimes they don't. My daughter and I were in the drive-thru line at Chick-fil-A. Do you guys know what hot boxing is? I know it from a in baseball lingo. Oh, I know the lingo that Doug's getting ready to get into. Yeah. So my daughter and I are in line at Chick-fil-A. And everybody who works at Chick-fil-A looks like they just came out of choir practice, right? Like, like everyone, it's just, it's the Chick-fil-A way of doing things. Many, many of them did. That's their point. Yeah. That's the whole point. So we're in line and my daughter, who's getting ready to go to college, needs to learn about the world, says, do you smell a skunk? I said, yeah, I do smell a skunk. <laughs> so we start looking for a skunk. There's no skunk. So they're in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, and it's like now that Chick-fil-A is so efficient, they have the people on the iPad things that you don't even get to the drive-thru speaker box. They, they catch you early in the line. So the, the, the person in front of us um, opens their car door. They don't roll down the window. They open their car door and the Chick-fil-A guy starts going. <laughs> and so then the Chick-fil-A guy comes like finishes their order, comes back to us and it goes. <laughs> and I said, Oh, that's the skunk. So then we go up the car in front of us. They, they get their food and they open their door again. And then it's like five of five of the Chick-fil-A workers just standing there. And it is 
it is like it's like we're in a cumulonimbus cloud, like came down to earth. There's a fog over the entire drive-through. And of course they get like three bags of food. And I couldn't, and so I pull up then and like the, the, all these teenagers, I'm like, oh, I said like, are you guys high now? And they're like, yeah, that was quite a hot box. And I was like, a hot box? And I had to try to ask my daughter, my daughter, my naive, innocent daughter, doesn't know what a hot box is. Steven, should I know what a hot box is? Because they were clearly, it was like, that's why the person was opening the door. They weren't trying to let the windows down. And it was just like, we're hot boxing in the Chick-fil-A drive-through. And this was a new experience for me. I mean, I don't know if you should or shouldn't know, but it's once you hear the word and you see what they're doing, it's pretty self-explanatory yeah. what hot boxing is. Um, but I don't, I mean, you have teenagers and a preteen, but they seem like I've met your daughter. They're pretty good kids. So I would say for your sake, no, I don't think you should know what hot boxing is. I know it now. Yeah. So I just found it. I didn't know if this is normal. I'm not stating a position for or against hot boxing. I was just a little surprised that someone would be so open to the idea of just hot boxing their way through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. And again, what we're talking about is that your car is so filled with marijuana smoke that it, the car itself becomes a moving bomb down the road. <laughs> and then you're just bringing nugs into that environment. You're just nugging it up in the hot box. So then we followed the car out. We get our food. <coughs> we get our food. We leave. And the car, instead of like turning left out to the road and out to the world, turns right into this parking lot for this giant bank headquarters. <laughs> And I was like, where are they going? Are they going to work? Or are they like an Uber driver? It's Uber Eats and now your nugs are going to be all hotboxed when you get the nugs. I found it very confusing that that was the way the car turned. But I don't, Stephen, is it, should I just, again, people, we obviously know marijuana laws in this country. It's not criminalized anymore. Yeah. I mean, like, it's fine. I just not had not experienced that anymore. Should I be prepared for hot boxes and drive throughs from now on? Um, I mean, probably. I would say that the reason why they stopped at that bank is because, yes, marijuana is no longer criminalized by law. But that doesn't mean it isn't criminalized by parent law. Mm. And, um, you know, you got to eat your nuggets and then you got to, you know. Make sure you don't get punished at home. Maybe okay. I don't know if like the smartest thing to do as a teenager is to do what they were doing and then go home. So they were nugging up in the hot box, and then they the were nugging, yeah, and then nugging gonna... up and then nugging up. Okay, okay. <laughs> so that was that was Doug's Doug in the world. That was the second tra- craziest thing that ever happened to me in a drive-through. The first craziest was when we were in Hawaii. And like the, the one time I've been to Hawaii on the island we were on, there's like one McDonald's on the island. We were like, we got to go to McDonald's. And it was one of the islands where there's just kind of like chickens around. And there was a dead chicken in the drive-thru, like roadkill. Like the chicken had been hanging out in the drive-thru at McDonald's and then got run over and was just there. Like you just get dead squirrel or something. And I was like, that is a very, I didn't know if they came out and scooped it up and you got some fresh nugs, some fresh McNuggets that way. But uh, now I had the hot box in the drive-thru. All right. So I just like to educate the people. If you're a 48-year-old person who had never seen that before, like me, now you know. 
We talked a decent amount of football with Ryan Day uh, on Monday. The thing that I want to focus on, and I'm, I'm not going to write about this yet because I'm going to save it until next week when we get Ryan Day one more time. So people, so you guys know, talked to Ryan Day on Monday, Wednesdays, linebackers and quarterbacks, Friday, safeties and cornerbacks. And then we will have moved through all the position groups. And then next week we will get Ryan Day one more time, right? Before the spring game on Saturday, April 16th. So I'm going to save this these questions for Ryan Day next week. But Nathan, I thought as Ryan Day was talking about this roster and this team today, I thought it felt like a lot of things were falling into place, were slotted for this team, but also for the Ryan Day era. And Ryan Day took over in an interesting situation. He succeeds a legend who leaves under sort of surprising circumstances. He brings in Justin Fields. They make the playoff right away. Then the year two is COVID and it's weird and it's crazy. And Justin Fields is back and they make the national championship game. But the whole season's kind of helter skelter. And then last season in year three for Ryan Day, they're playing a lot of young guys. They're playing a quarterback who'd never thrown a pass before. He's talking a lot during the course of the year about all these young guys they're playing. But I thought, a year two quarterback in C.J. Stroud, a defensive coordinator who is here to be the head coach of the defense in Jim Knowles that I think Ryan Day clearly trusts and believes in, no COVID, a team that has much more experience than a year ago. This is not a young team. You're getting the payoff now of all the young guys who played. I just watched Ryan Day. This was practice nine on Monday, Nathan. I just watched Ryan Day talking about his team, and it just struck me of, I think we're going to get a true sense of what a Ryan Day football team at its best looks like right now. Even the recruiting lull that we thought hit them a little bit last year, right? That 2019 recruiting lull. Now you have guys like like Jordan Hancock, right, in year two who are going to help out. They're kind of past that recruiting lull a little bit. It, not that we didn't know it, Nathan. We already did a podcast this spring. Should Ohio State be the, the favorite to win the national title? But it was Ryan Day talking about his team that gave me that feeling on Monday, like we're going to see what a Ryan Day football team is really all about in this 2022 season. So just contrasting it with what last spring felt like, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where it was a, a search to find out if they had – candidates to play these positions whereas now it's more of a recognition of okay there are candidates now which ones are the best that is a very important distinction and I think we'll probably see that play out on the field this fall but obviously a little a little too early to tell but I think it's it's certainly headed in the right direction and when you start to when you can check off some of these boxes I think as a coach as a staff it probably helps you focus on the more important things or those more critical things that maybe aren't as certain when you know that your second string quarterback is a guy who has actually started a game before. And now you're going all the way down to a third string where it's a guy who is a, a highly talented prospect who doesn't have much, but at least he's it's like last year, what Kyle McCord was is now what you have at the third string guy. And now you're start, you know, you have this abundance of depth at defensive on the defensive line that you now have to figure out where to play everybody. Just, just simple things like that um, 
become good problems to have and you can it can be the problems that you set aside while you can go fo- you narrow down what are the more critical things that you have to work on this spring to your point doug of we're going to see what a ryan day team looks like i was when he when he started talking about you can go two three deep in a lot of these spots i started just mapping it out while we were sitting there in my notes um there are six players on this team who committed to ohio state when ryan day wasn't the head coach five of them are on defense you know, the only one on offense is Matthew Jones, who's a starter. And then the other ones are Teron Vincent, uh, Cameron Brown, Taraja Mitchell, and you know, Ty- Tyler Friday, and Jamonte Jean Baptiste. Like, everybody else chose Ohio State in the Ryan Day world. So to that point of, you know, we were talking midway through last year when they started to play young guys. It's like, oh, these, this team's just playing their guys, not the guys from the old regime. Well, the new regime is all in at this point. And to Nathan's point, yeah, you map out, you can go three deep with a lot of these spots. And then as we get into the spot, we'll talk about the offensive line. That's the only spot where you can't just name off the top of your head, even if it might change between now and the fall, who the top three names are at a position. I do want to say about hot boxing. You shouldn't be high driving down the road, right? That's okay. Like, even if it's decriminalized, if someone was driving down the road, which I've seen before, I very remember some driving behind somebody on the highway sometime who was throwing beer cans out their window as they were driving and I like called 911 and was like, this person drinking beer while they're driving and throwing beer cans out the window. So don't drive while you're high. Right, Stephen? I mean, like it's, decrim- like it's decriminalized, but that's still not good. I mean, you're <laughs> no, don't do it. Yeah, just I don't want to make light. I'm not trying to be a narc, but I don't want to make light. <laughs> of being high while you're driving. Like, that's not legal. Don't drive while you're impaired. I don't know if I actually don't know if driving while high is. I know driving while drunk and it's does the, does being high off marijuana fall under the driving while yes. impaired? How do they yeah, okay. test? How do they check it? Yeah, how do you test? Yeah, you can't test that for weed. You I mean, you would know by the odor. You would know if there was the presence of marijuana there, but you don't know that the driver they, yeah. is participating. It may have just that's been everybody thing. around him. And that's Unless the, that's the thing, box. though. But even then, it's like, you know, how much of a contact high is like a real type of high? This oh, seems like an off-season is, podcast. Yeah, it does. Because, like, I mean, technically, well, it is the off-season. I so. mean, I'm just telling you, it's not my fault that they hotbox in front of me during spring football. I can't hold that's it. True. I couldn't hold it until June. Okay. So I do think that even – I think that's a very a point well taken, Stephen. Because I think we would say normally it's like, well, wait till you get your guys in here. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's – I. But that's not actually what what locked it in for me. The idea of like now they're all Ryan Day guys, but it adds it's even adds on top of it. But it's just year one is year one and it's crazy. And you had to get your quarterback in January in the transfer portal because you didn't think you had any quarterbacks on the roster that are going to work. Year two is COVID. Year three, the defensive side of the ball is not up to snuff, right? Those are the three things. And then by year four, Yes, the roster has rounded into shape, but I feel like the context has rounded into shape as well. Even the idea that, like, like I think Ryan Day just has a beard now. Like, this is not hoodie. an in It's just a beard. They have this new look with the hoodies, right, that he has kind of a look, and a, I don't – he's just Ryan Day. And the team – it just – I mean, the most important thing for everybody listening is it feels like Ohio State football is going to be good. That's what this is all about. But I also feel like it's going to be a representation of how Ryan Day wants to play football. And we're going to get a clear 
view of that, Stephen, whether it's good or not, I mean, it's probably going to be good. But right, like there's there's nothing holding this team back from being the version of a team that Ryan Day, when he was a 23-year-old grad assistant, would have said to himself, if I'm ever a college head coach someday, this is what I want to do. I feel like the 2022 Ohio State Buckeyes might be the first time we really get a sense of that. In every sense of the word, the offense, the style of quarterback he wants, like the build of him. Um, the type of wide receivers, the way he wants the offensive line to work, how many running backs he wants to use, how involved does he actually want to be on defense. And I, I do think getting into some Saturday stuff, getting to see more practice, we got to see just how much he is involved on the defensive side. And it's basically, it's, I don't, I want you to do your job over there. I'm going to come check in so I know what's going on over there because I'm the head coach, but have at it. And just let me know what's going on big picture. But I don't need to know every single detail that Jim Knowles has going on on that side of the ball. And I do think it's important. And we'll get into a little bit more of the Saturday specifics after this and some of the roster stuff and talk about it too deep. But Nathan, you know, something's going to go wrong. Something always goes wrong. Somebody gets abducted by aliens, right? That's going to happen. But I also do think that they are fairly set up to not be derailed completely by one or two alien abductions, which I think is, is also a part of this that, you know, year one was a pretty good year one for them. They they had an easy schedule, but for Ryan day and Justin Fields, basically to combine with Jeff Halfley and the guys they had, and and also chase young and Jeff Okuda, right. He inherited a great defense that they were a really good team that probably should have gone to the national championship game, but it still was all fresh and new, and you kind of just had to go with what you got. It just so happened what they had was quite a bit, right? And then year two is COVID, year three is the defense. I don't think there's something that is going to derail them, Nathan. Now come back when, right, I mean, let's have C.J. Stroud, Trivion Henderson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, J.T. Tumalowau, and Zach Harrison all simultaneously – get abducted by aliens, I'll be like, oh, yeah, okay. But, like, short of that, Nathan, like, they're – I think they're good, but they're also a, a, about as deep as I think a good team needs to be, and I feel like they have the coaches they want in place. It's kind of like the across-the-board kind of thing that they're built a little bit to more sustain a bump in the road. Yeah, and I actually – I texted the other day off of a question that we got that was about the defense and how it has been sort of making these surges like every three years and is Ohio State due for one. And the one deviation from what might be like the perfect thing in Ryan Day's mind is the the guys who you think might be great on the, – they don't have a lot of third-year guys on defense that look like they're ready for a peak. It's, it's more like second-year guys. And so that's maybe the one thing that's off, but I think you would take that over maybe even having a couple more third year guys, but like no answer beneath them. I think this year there are layers of answers. It seemed to be developing layers of answers. And then by the end of a season, those second year guys are essentially almost to that third year status anyway. And it's where we talked about this before. Like, could they be on the 2014 plan where you're a little bit ahead of schedule because your second year guys are so good that by the end of that second year, now you're really, you know, cooking with fire. 
it's not even so much that to, it's like your second year guys are so good. It's like a lot of them. That was the thing about 2014. It wasn't like it was just, you know, Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott. It's like, you know, Darren Lee. It was like layers to it. You've got JT, you've got Jack, you've got Denzel, you've got Marvin Harrison Jr., Mekabuka. That's what made it so impressive is when you've got six, seven names you can just mark off before you even run out of breath of guys who might be ready to spark. And by the end of the year, they're, you know, they're rolling on both sides of the ball. Since the 2013 recruiting class that pushed them to a national title in their second year, I've been looking for the next class like that. I asked the 2017 class a thousand questions about that going into year two in 2018. Can you guys be that? Chase Young was like, yeah, we can. And then it was like, it didn't like, it didn't quite happen. Right. Nick Bosa got hurt. You need, you need some veteran guys on top of that. As we've taught everybody listening to this knows that. You need Michael Bennett and Duran Grant and Devin Smith and Evan Spencer. You need some guys on top of that so that when this young, when this second year talent surge happens, they have a little leadership. You have some guide rails to help them figure out what to do. But maybe this is it. Like maybe this second year class, like, yeah, this is it. This is the one that feels like, quote, again, and, and it would feel, quote, Early, because again, we've done podcasts, two now, maybe we'll do a third, about whether the 2023 Ohio State football team will be the greatest team of all time, Nathan. And it might be like, well, I don't know, maybe the 2022 team. Like they're, they're quote early because I think it's normal. I think it's smart. I think it's what we do. You target a great recruiting class for year three because everybody, that's the, that's nobody's left, but everybody's peaked. Who's going to peak, right? So that's year three. But you can get there in year two with the class, and maybe that's going to happen here. I do think – go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I just want to make sure real quick, the thing I said before, but it really only applies to defense because on offense you do have a third-year guy in C.J. Stroud, a third-year guy in Jackson Smith, the Jigba, a third-year guy at Paris Johnson Jr. I mean, yep. you could arguably like the three most important positions on this offense are all third-year guys, highly recruited guys ready for that burst. But then, but yeah, so there's going to be a lot of defensive guys, but there's also going to be Trevion Henderson, Donovan Jackson, Emeka Buka, mm-hmm. Marvin Harrison Jr. on the offense. There's going to be some of those guys, but they're not going to have to carry the load like maybe the guys on defense in year two are going to have to do. I do think some of the stuff that we've talked about with this defense, what do they have to be? Do they have to be a top 10 defense? Maybe top 20 is enough. I do think Ohio State's thinking about that a little bit like that too. And I do think the idea that the offense is going to carry the load, but I think where Ohio state feels good about it is an offense can't carry you through 15 games, Nathan. It can't be, you can't, that's too far to sort of drag the other side of the ball. But if it's like, well, in a 15 game schedule that it would take to win a national championship, maybe the offense can carry you in 11. 12 of those games, but can the defense give you three or four great performances on days when the offense doesn't quite have it, when a guy's hurt, when it snows, when the quarterback's a little off, when there's a great defensive player who has a great game. I think they got that last year with Nebraska. Garrett Wilson's out. They don't score 50 points, but the defense plays pretty well. And that's a tougher game than anybody expected, but they won. 
But then you get to the Michigan game, and hey, it's Aiden Hutchinson, it's David Ojabo, it's Dax Hill, it's Mike McDonald's got a game plan for you. It's snowing a little bit. Maybe a couple guys have a stomach bug. And can the, the offense is not at 100%, Nathan. Can the defense get you through? And the answer was no. So I think that's, we've got an offense that West, what they're thinking. They're thinking, we've got an offense that's as good as anybody in the country. It can lead us but it can't carry us for 15 games. And that's what we're looking for, for the defense. And I think they have a greater faith, Nathan, that this year the defense will be up to that level. And what does that mean? Does that mean top five, top 10 defense? No, it means like top 10, top 20, top 25 defense, but be there on the days when CJ's a little off, when a ball bounces off Jackson's hands and gets intercepted, when Somebody gets sick in the pregame and one of our tackles isn't there, right? That's what they're asking for this defense this year. And I feel like, I think last year they kind of know they didn't, they didn't get that. And I think they didn't necessarily have that belief that if the offense isn't there, will the defense carry us on this one day? And I think they thought, no. Well, really, what was the story of last year? It was, I think there were two deficiencies. It was a talent deficiency, a depth deficiency. They didn't trust guys at important positions once you got beyond you know look at opening night like when you don't have seven banks and you don't have cam brown who are you forcing onto the field before they're ready like and they're they get away with it that night but it is part of the problem that's sort of dragged behind them all year and i see so that problem is already being fixed as we already talked about with the depth that they seem to be building but then also when you encounter problems when there are holes because I don't know that I think this defense is going to be one through 11 spectacular. So there's going to be some hole that a team can potentially exploit. What do you do schematically to counteract that? What do you do to force their hand, make them play by, you know, on your terms. And that's what the Jim Knowles defense is supposed to be coming in to do. It's supposed to be, you know, more variable and, you know, less static more unpredictable, more aggressive, you know, putting the other teams on, on defense, the defensive is not the right term. You know what I mean? But, but like, you know, making, making them make mistakes. And I, I think it's the combination of those two things this spring that is, is the optimism. It's not just one or the other. You're sort of seeing both of those things potentially come together. The Knowles half of it be much harder to judge until we actually get into a season and see him actually put a defense on a field. But we've seen him do it before at other places. It's worth assuming a certain level of of proficiency there with the, what we're seeing in front of our faces though, the way people are talking about guys on defense, the way they're talking about guys who may not even play that much on defense, I think is important. And like, again, for instance, 2019, you would say, well, the defense carried you. And then it was, can the offense make enough plays in moments here and there? Right. And they certainly, certainly could. This, this is, I mean, this is an offense carry the load kind of program and kind of talent. And especially, Stephen, when your quarterback is a veteran, then it's really like nobody doubts whether the offense can carry the load. It's just, is the defense good enough? And I just feel like, again, you guys know, I come on here and I just talk about things that are obvious when they strike me. And it struck me. It just struck me. The hoodie was part of it, Stephen, for real. It's like a little bit of this new look. It's just like, 
it's one of those things. I, 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 I do sort of like to think of like opening scenes in a movie or whatever. Like sometimes you like to start the movie in the future and then go backwards. And I almost feel like this is a midpoint of like the story of the 2022 Ohio State Buckeyes who might win a national championship. Ryan Day, the way he talked about his team at the podium on Monday, I almost would maybe start there. And then I go back and you go back to the news conference with Urban and Ryan Day and you go back to some of the things they've done. Then you fast forward to the playoff game, the semifinal in 2022. But sometimes there are like, I get it. And uh, and today was an I get it moment for me. And I'm, I, you know, it wasn't anything specific. I'm just an old man. It's kind of like how you like if you're in your bones and your joints, you can feel when it's going to rain, you know, when you get old. So I do not know that. So okay. it's like in my joints. I was like, oh, what was that? Oh, I think there might be a good season coming. Kind of that kind of thing. Steven, you'll get there. You'll get there. Your joints aren't old enough to be able to sense this kind of stuff yet. No, and it's going to be a while till I get there. You know, so I'm happy about that. I'll say this one to the defensive thing. Three games, I think, is the threshold. That's what it was in 2021. I think that's what it will be in 2022. Can the defense win you three games? And those three games last year were the Oregon game because your quarterback was young, the Nebraska game because the offense was funky. That's going to happen sometimes, whether it's play calling or CJ's having a bad game or somebody's out, whatever. And then it was the Michigan game because this is the Big Ten and weather does happen. I'll say this year it'll be – I'm not going to say the Notre Dame game because I just think CJ's going to come out there and rip it and Jackson's going to do whatever he wants and everybody's going to be excited to play football. Um, Wisconsin game – at Penn State, because that'll probably be a night game. And we know how, well, you know how Nathan and I got robbed of that in 2020, but what the night out is like. And then obviously the Michigan game, because it's the Michigan game. Um, I'll, I'll say, right, can Ohio State's defense help it win those three games? And, and I'll also throw enough. in, to your point, like about the Nebraska game, the game you don't see coming. The game yes. you don't see coming where, you know, something happens. Somebody's out. Somebody turns their ankle mm-hmm. on Thursday. Or somebody's just off, you know, like that, that mm-hmm. game. I'm always, I think we, we understand that you're always alert for, can we pick it now? No, but I agree with the games you mentioned. And then like the game you don't see coming. And it's just on those days. Cause if we say there were three games like that last year, they went one and two in those games. Mm-hmm. And the thing is you don't have to, you probably don't have to win all of those games. You just can't lose two of them. Correct. So you have probably have room for one loss in there, one little wiggle. Room. The right one, though. True. That's the thing. True. It's got to be the right loss. It can't be the Purdue-Iowa one. It can be the Notre Dame one. You know? uh, but then to, to your other point, um, with Ryan Day's kind of vibe today, um, Nathan, you weren't with us yet, but, but back when we were in Chicago before the 2019 season for Big Ten Media Days, and everybody was just running down all these lists of pressures that Ryan Day might be under. And I think you got like the seventh question in of that. And he like takes a fake drink as if he's taking a sip of alcohol. I'm like, yeah, it's a lot of anxiety here. Okay. He lost to Michigan. He got blown out in the national championship game. He's got a two loss season and the sun came up. So I'm going to throw on my hoodie. I'm going to stop wearing these little bubble vests. I'm going to stop shaving my face before seasons. And this I'm Ryan Day. We score 45 points and let's make sure our defense is good enough to not get in the way of that. Let's go play football. Now, this feels like a conversation. This is like one of those half hour like therapy sessions. There's you've really hit on something there, I think, Stephen. There's the fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And then there's the fear of the known. I think Ryan Day spent a lot of time last off season thinking of the fear of the unknown. 
the loss you can't afford, the loss that jumps up. He hadn't lost a regular season game. Mm -hmm. So one of them was just a loss, and they experienced that in Oregon. And then the other is to lose the rivalry game. And they dealt with both. So what else is there? I mean, I guess there's going five and seven, right? But I mean, that's not realistic. (laughs) For the head coach at Ohio State with the way things are going right now, he knows it. And now they'll coach off what they know. They'll teach off what they know. They'll motivate off what they know. And there's there's no boogeyman around the corner. The boogeyman came out. And the boogeyman had on khakis. And the boogeyman was Joe Moorhead. Like Joe Moorhead and Jim Harbaugh and Mike McDonald were your boogeyman. And, and they came out of the woods. And so you don't have to be look around every corner because it's like they're right there. They're right there. They're still scary, but we're not searching for them anymore. They're they're out. So that was the best year to do it. I mean, you know, it's a weird year. You're playing a bunch of young guys. It's not fully all your guys playing yet. And you know, at least it didn't happen six years into this thing. It happened in year three in a year that maybe if we we all kind of predicted if there's going to be a year where it's a low, it's a low, it was going to be 2021. So okay, we got yeah. through it. It came with a cost though because it we did. thought. We thought, we talked all season, that we were headed toward a best offense versus best defense playoff matchup, mm-hmm. and they didn't get a chance to do that. And did they deserve to be there ahead of Michigan and Cincinnati? No. Would they have played a better game against Alabama and Georgia in the semifinals than Michigan and Cincinnati did? Probably. Could they have beaten Alabama or Georgia? Maybe. I don't think it was a sure thing. Now, the defense wasn't good enough. The defense wasn't good enough. But with C.J. Stroud, who had figured it out, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, who came on like a ball of fire with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, you did not get to take that against Georgia or Alabama. You did not get to test that group against an SEC defense. That was the cost. So the boogeyman, bringing the boogeyman out of the woods, you know, he got one of you. You didn't all escape. But now you're back and you're bloodied. And you're not as afraid as you once were because you at least know what he looks like. All right, we're going to come back and talk about it too deep before we get into some basketball talk at the end. We'll do this next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, and Steven. Boy, oh boy, do I think it's a good time for the texts. We got some fun stuff coming. We're going to be doing a bracket. That's always fun. It's going to be football-related. I already said we're going to do the 64 best games of this century. 64 best wins. I think I've talked about that. We haven't started it yet, but we're going to. Um, spring football's finishing up. This would be a good time to do it. Get on board, lead into the spring game. Pretty cool. 614-350-3315. I think people who have been subscribed during spring football have been getting their money's worth. And it's sometimes fun in the offseason when there's not obvious Ohio State football stuff hitting in the face everywhere. Then you get the little sprinkle in your phone. You know, we help you get through the offseason. We keep your mind on the Buckeyes. Two-week free trial, 614-350-3315. Stephen, you were there on Saturday. Nathan and I were not otherwise occupied, but uh, you've got to look at practice. And again, you you texted out a lot of stuff. You wrote some stuff about it. I think at this point on a Monday, what we want to do the most is just sort of what did we learn about the too deep? So does this just make sure, why don't we just run through? I know you sort of had written out the too deep um, mm-hmm. along the way, Stephen. So why don't you just start on the defensive side of the ball and take us through sort of the position groups. And then Nathan and I will all talk about briefly sort of what we think about where they are. Are there any surprises? What we thought, let's start with the defensive line. Cause it feels like Ryan day feels good about that. You thought it looked pretty good when they were out there. 
What did we learn about the defensive line too deep off Saturday? So I'm going to give two different versions and we'll discuss the second version. I'm going to give the what I saw and then what I think it's actually going to be just because, you know, some veterans are probably on pitch count, so they're not always doing stuff. And so you, you take that with a grain of salt. Um, I'll say this in the competitive periods that we saw O-line against D-line, the D-line won. It was in JT Tuimaloa was dominant. It was pretty impressive, actually. I was joking around with Paris afterward. He like ripped his helmet off at one point. Um, so I'll say this for the starters. I'll say JT Tuimaloa and Jack and Zach Harrison are the starting defensive ends for now. Those are your ones. And then the guys right behind them will be Jack Sawyer and Javante Jean Baptiste. And then if we want to start, let's just start go ahead, there. And we can, go ahead okay. to the tackles, and we'll do them as a group. Okay. And then the uh, the noses, uh, the uh, Jerron Case is the starting nose. Mike Hall is the two. And then three technique, Teron Vincent is the one. And then Ty Hamilton is the two. And then Talik Williams fits in there as well, because I know I got a lot of texts. No, Talik Williams, they go six. They try to go six deep. So the, the three te- techniques will be Teron Vincent, Ty Hamilton, and Talik Williams, like probably in that order as they roll onto the field. So, number one, I'm very interested in the Tyleek Williams pitch count, the thing we've talked about a little bit. I still want to write about it more. These sort of oversized defensive tackles, maybe you give them a little extra breather so when they go, they can go 1,000 miles an hour, then you get them out of the game. Um, like the Georgia guys did last year, Jordan Davis, Heisman candidate, played less than 50% of the snaps. So, like this is, you know, I'm interested in Tyleek Williams with that. Nathan, what do we think of that group? The more we think about this, Talk about this, expand what we think about these guys. I just wonder if JT Tumaloa is on a Joey Bosa path for what kind of sophomore year he's going to have. Because Joey Bosa was a very good player as a freshman, played a lot. And then by 2014, he was a first-team All-American and was on the path to being the Joey Bosa that he became, who was the first non-quarterback drafted in his NFL draft is that as we hear and think about this and watch this, Nathan, is that like, what do you think of this defensive line? What do you think of JT? Yeah, that's just been my assumption since we saw last season, what he was able to do. And it wasn't like he got in and dominated by any stretch last year. His, you know, it was, it was fine, especially for a true freshman under the circumstances. It was probably better than fine what he came in and did, but that definitely has me thinking or has had me thinking that he is kind of the key Ohio State needs that truly disruptive piece up front. I don't know if Zach Harrison's ever really going to be that. I think he's he's a very good defensive end. I don't think he's going to be that guy that like strikes fear in the heart of opponents for you know to be um, to overly embellish it a little bit, like because they're not actually striking fear. But you know what I mean. Like he's got to be a little bit intimidating. A, a big problem in the game plan that you set up, and I think JT Tumaloa could be that as early as this fall. I thought Steven made a good observation today when we were out getting ready to do our, our video after the press conference and Larry Johnson was in the Woody working with um, Tyreek Smith was in there. I, I didn't recognize everybody who, who was Jalen Holmes and yeah, uh, Jalen Holmes uh, was uh, in Antoine, there Jackson. Antoine Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, then JT Tumalau, I was also just sitting in there, just kind of watching. I don't know how much he was participating, but just kind of sitting off to the side. I'm like, you know, he was like, hey, you know, he's every time we see them doing this, he's in here. Like, what does that mean? And I think it, it's probably going to I think it does say something that doesn't mean that, you know, maybe there's other guys who would have been there if they didn't have class or whatever. But it just I think it's it's further recognition of what 
the path that he's on, how seriously he takes this, and that I think he's just built a little bit different. You get that impression when you talk to him, too. When we sit down for interviews with him, um, there's a – he's very casual about how high the expectations are for him and what he expects to be able to do this fall. He did not come to Larry Johnson School on the other side of the country to get, like, a B plus. I just no. feel like J- JT's here, like, <laughs> do all the extra credit. He's, he's like, and he's not even here for an A. Because I, I guess in the grading systems now, like that you do get, you get extra points for an A plus instead of an A. Um, and so he's here for the A plus. He's in after class. It's like, JT, you have a 98.8. And he's like, I know. Is there extra credit I can do? It's like, oh my God. What is, he's what not is here to graduate here? from the Larry Johnson School. He's here to be valedictorian. Yeah. Here's a, like, no, to the point of, you don't, how people do their recruiting process kind of matters a little bit. I don't take it that somebody who's that thorough with how they go about their recruiting process is just going to stop being that thorough with things mm. when they get on the campus. Like that kid waited as long as humanly possible and said, no, I know we've been talking on zoom, but I want to see you in action in person. And then I'll make my decision on if I want to come here. So I, I, I wouldn't say I said it like I was shocked that he was out there. It's I think I'm more shocked that he's the only one who's mm. always out mm. there. Yeah consistently whether it's like he got done with us last week and went right over there and started working with them it's every time yeah he wants 102 jt yeah seriously man you're you're above you're off the grading scale it's like i know it's one 102 i'm that kind of guy who wants 102 linebackers nine or ten deep i think we did a good job a couple podcasts ago sort of sorting it out will mike sam anything more we learned from saturday about the linebacker steve so here's what I saw, and here's what I think. What I saw was the starters were Tommy Eichenberger and Steel Champers. I think that as well. Those are just going to be the two starters. What I saw on Saturday was Taraja Mitchell was up next at Mike Linebacker, while Chip Tranum was up next at Will, uh, Will Linebacker. What I think is the second string Mike Linebacker is going to be Cody Simon. He's just He wasn't full go, obviously, on Saturday. He did like teaching drills and install drills, but didn't do the competitive stuff. While with the chip train them thing, I mean, this is where we have the CJ Hicks conversation. And if we want to do for the sake of saying the Sam linebackers, Reed Carrico took the field first and then Pollier and then Gabe Powers got in as well. But he also did some work as an interior linebacker as well, because I think that's long term what they want to do with him. And I think they're going to move some of those Sams around. Again, I think I wouldn't be, it sounds like some of the Sams may work in at the Jack defensive end spot at mm-hmm. times. They, they will certainly cross train them at some of the Will and Mike stuff because there's just not going to be enough work. If there's a Sam you really like, there's not enough work for him all year. He's going to work against Wisconsin and Iowa and maybe some sub packages on third down, but you, you want to give him some other action also. Nathan, I do think CJ Hicks is the most interesting thing here. It's hard. It's opportunity and ability. My guess is that with what, again, I feel like CJ Hicks, isn't CJ Hicks like 102% kind of guy? The the way that he went through his recruitment is. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, I mean, obviously he committed as early as possible, but then got the work building the class. But yeah, I've seen him a couple of times too after practices when we're walking in there. He'll be doing extra stuff with different veterans. So yeah. So he's a guy who's been a linebacker his whole life. Steel Chambers and Chip Trainum both started college as running backs. Nathan, they don't, they also played linebacker in high school. So it's not like CJ Hicks is necessarily ahead of them with his linebacker knowledge, but it's not like Steel Chambers and Chip Trainum are as ahead of a true freshman 
as other guys at, at, at other positions are, because if right, Nathan, like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, Tommy Eichenberg has been playing college linebacker for three years. Steel chambers and chip train haven't. And especially chip train at Ohio state who's running back at Arizona state. So that cracks the door a little further in my mind for CJ Hicks, but he's still a true freshman. And when I asked Ryan day about playing true freshman on Monday, he didn't necessarily say, I love playing true freshman. But it's also reality of, hey, if you have guys here who are going to trying to get to the NFL as fast as they can, you don't want to waste them. So how, how do we think we interpret any of this linebacker stuff in a crowded room? There's a lot of answers that Ryan Day and all, his whole staff give us to questions like that that are basically like, sure, but. And like, <laughs> sure, we love playing true freshmen, but. We're not so much that we're going to lose a game because of it. Sure. We'll play more than three receivers. Like we'll rotate more than three receivers, but do we have a fourth receiver? That's good enough. Like there's a lot of answers like that, which makes sense. Uh, I think that's the right approach. You'd be open-minded. Those things don't have absolute policies against it when it could happen, but make sure it happens. You're true that chambers and Tranum have not been linebackers that whole time. It's also true though, that there is a certain, uh, level of physical development that they've gone through being college athletes as long as they have that is a factor here and especially in the case of Chambers he has lived in that position for a year he had to start at that position last year by the end of it in important games so there is definitely an edge there still and I think what's important is you look at the Denzel Burke example do your flashing in the spring, like definitely get on the radar. People know you're coming. People know you're doing things. When, when people were talking about Denzel Burke and we were hearing his name uh, on the fields and stuff in a way, I guess that was maybe a little bit even more into the summer with him. But you, when you hear it, get, get, get on the board, but you're still going to probably have to maybe have something happen in front of you to maybe to really get that opportunity. And again, we're not wishing on anybody. We're not wishing the alien visitation, but probably something else would maybe have to happen. I would still expect Hicks to be third in that rotation when the season starts. Cause at corner last year, something did happen. Seven banks had right. like the weirdest year of a returning Buckeye that we've seen in a while. So it just like he was hurt and he was something else felt like it was going on. And it was like, uh, what do we got? And Denzel Burke was like, I'll do it. So there's that part of it. Um, I will continue to be fascinated by CJ Hicks, who among us is not fascinated by a five-star freshman, Stephen. I mean, I, it's, it's human nature, is it not? Yeah, and I think that's why we're focusing more on it this year than we did last year when they kept telling us Denzel Burke was flashing all spring. Um, I think let's just hypothetically speak that Seven Banks and Cam, like Cam Brown was hurt, so that's not really weird. But Seven Banks' offseason wasn't weird. And – they kept saying this last year, let's just get up through these first two games and then we'll come up for air against Tulsa where we know we're going to win by 60. I think Seven Banks and Cam Brown would have started against Minnesota and Oregon, but then by the time we got to the Rutgers game, Denzel Burke would have been starting anyway because he would have had two games that were non-consequential to start flashing and maybe develop a little bit more and you're not destroying them to the, excuse me, to the wolves against Power 5 opponents. So what if that's a better way to look at the CJ Hicks situation where it's like, all right, Steel Chambers and Chip Tranum have played college football before, especially Steel Chambers has played linebacker before. So let's get through this Notre Dame game first. And then if there are some five stars, freshmen out there who have been flashing, you just didn't want to throw them to the wolves. 
Arkansas State and Toledo would seem like some good games to get them some extra reps. And just because Steel Chambers and Chip Tranum got the most snaps at Will Linebacker against Notre Dame doesn't mean that's going to be the case against Wisconsin. I, I think that's a fair point to make. It, we also, though, should remember that as much as we're trying to parse the things that they say about C.J. Hicks, we need to also parse what they say about Steel Chambers and Chip Trainum and Jim Knowles has also been pretty complimentary of both of those guys, especially Trainum, like what he's been able to do in a short amount of time, getting up to speed and being a legitimate linebacker. I do feel like a conspiracy theorist now when it comes to what coaches say in press conferences. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it could also be, they're saying nice things about the converted running backs who have a five-star breathing down their necks and they're trying to read, Hey, you guys are doing a great job. And CJ Hicks is like, I can't wait to get to practice today and take a job. So I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that. I don't, I don't know. Certainly. Um, it remind. I'll be very curious. And Steven, like, you know, who went through the scenario you just outlined last year, Trevion Henderson. Yeah. That was a Trevion Henderson pass. He barely played in the opener. He played some in week two. And then by week three, they're like, oh, yeah, no, he's the starter. And we were like, yeah, we know he's the starter. But maybe it's not right away. I just don't know. A linebacker, you're in the muck of everything. There are a million things going on around you. It's different than cover this guy who's right in front of you. It's different than take this ball and run as fast as you can in that hole. I don't know. It might be harder for a young linebacker to get in there. But again, he's not competing with guys who have played linebacker for 10 years. So how great are they at it either? I think we're on alert to make no assumptions about anything of that coming out of spring. And I do think we're also on alert for, oh, boy, did C.J. Hicks look good in the spring game. If C.J. Hicks is flying around, because, you know, this is a little bit like last year. We didn't know what was going to happen with linebacker. And then they started putting steel chambers in and we were like, I don't know. What's this? And it was like, oh, wait, did he just shoot the gap and tackle the mm-hmm. running back behind the line of scrimmage? That seems like it'll work. And then he played. So if CJ Hicks does that same thing when he gets on the field, then he might get on the field more and more and more. We have to at least be open to it. He's my candidate for the Jack Sawyer spring game. Mm. Um. And just like with Jack, we might have to partial it depending on who's on the field. Yep. Because if he's cooking Evan Pryor, all right, it's great. But, like, he's not Travion Henderson. Like, with Jack, he was cooking everybody, but then he did struggle a little bit with Thayer and Nicholas Petit-Ferret. But I do think that's a, it's a realistic thing that the five-star kid from Ohio on defense against the second-teamers is just having a field day and everybody comes out of there like, ooh, CJ Hicks. And we're going to have to be like, all right, let's calm it down. And again, I talk, I've talked a lot about Ryan Shazier as a true freshman. Luke Fickle, like just they wouldn't play him. They wouldn't play him. It was like, why aren't you playing him? Why aren't you playing him? And you, there's some fundamentals there. You can't be in the wrong gap. You can't miss an mm-hmm. assignment because you're trying to make a play because that's how a guy pops something 30 yards that shouldn't have popped. Yeah. So as talented as you are, as playmaking as you are, when you're a linebacker, you've got to be where you're supposed to be. You've got to make the right read on every play. And that just might be harder to come by. Let's go to corner. I think bottom line, Stephen, they have four guys they feel good about, and that is throwing Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson into the mix with Burke, uh, Denzel Burke and Cam Brown, right? Yeah, that's about does it. I've, and we have an order because Cam Brown, he didn't do every competitive drill, but he did a little bit more. Um, Denzel Burke is one. Cameron Brown is two. Jordan Hancock is three. Jake Kalen J- Johnson is four. And I think that is a place where – 
again, to come from a spot where a year ago they're playing as they're starting a true freshman against Minnesota. Yeah. They're playing a ton of legend Cavazos against Oregon, a ton of Ryan Watts early. None of that goes well, Nathan. I, I think four corners they like and let them sort out the playing time in yep. August. But if April's telling you we have four we believe in, and then maybe you play all four. And I know there's probably going to be some people who want Johnson or Hancock in that second spot opposite Burke already. I would just say pump the brakes a little bit. It's a, it would be a much bigger alarm bell if those guys were not the twos than there is that either of them isn't a one yet. You know what I mean? Like if there was somebody else that had had already had a chance and didn't look like they were up to it, or we were looking at a you know a, a walk on or a much lower ranked guy who was getting those reps. I think the fact that those guys can be the twos brings stability to the whole defense. I think it might be we might not be able to overstate how important it is that those that that group of four emerges and is solid this year. Especially since we all know Cameron Brown is not getting through the entire season without nicking something. It's hard. Most I mean, likely, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's hard. It's hard. You've got to be prepared. And last year, they were kind of prepared for some weird stuff at corner, but not a hundred percent. Denzel Burke was ready, but then like the next guy after that wasn't really ready, and it hurt him. And you know, if they had all healthy, locked in corners last year, maybe Kerry Combs is still his best coordinator. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that. What blew a hole in their defense early was playing guys, major snaps at corner who they, I think, clearly weren't sure about. And then mistakes were made. And here we are. Safety, lots of moving parts. Steven, was Court Williams not a hundred percent participant on Saturday? Is he was that right? Not. He was not. So this is what I saw. I'll start with, uh, I'll start with nickel and I'll make my way down through the, the three different ones. Uh, nickel safety. Tanner McAllister, Cameron Martinez with the twos. It's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, Legend Cavazos, I know Jim Noel said that he's working in there. I'll put him with the threes. He wasn't there on Saturday. Um, Ryan Day did say he was back at practice today. Um, the bandit safety, which is the strong safety. I'm going to put that in parentheses every time I do a, a depth chart now, just so people know which one we're talking about. Uh, Josh Proctor did a little bit more. He did a couple competitive drills, but not all of them. Um, so he he looks like he's getting back to normal, though. He was a starter. Um, Marcus Hooker was up with the twos because Court Williams wasn't always there. But here's what I think. Josh Proctor is with the ones. Court Williams is with the twos. And Marcus Hooker is still on scholarship. Adjuster, which is the free safety. Ronnie Hickman's the starting free safety at this point. I mean, they had some, a couple single high looks, and he was the single high safety um, consistently. Uh, it's, it's He's a little Jordan Fuller-ish with the way he's directing things out there. He was with the ones, and then Bryson Shaw was with the twos. What do we think of that, Nathan? I think that, uh, obviously, if Court Williams isn't out there, we might have seen exactly how they moved Proctor around a little bit if Williams was there, or did Williams move around a little bit? You know, we, we've talked a lot about safety this spring, uh, justifiably so. What do we think of that depth chart? Just in my read, even if Court Williams were healthier right now, he still seems like the third guy of those three between Proctor, Hickman, and him. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a bad position to be in. I think that could still be a spot that gets you on the field a decent amount. I think he'd probably be the the backup strong guy on a, on a depth chart, backup um, – it but i don't know that seems pretty again that seems pretty solid if now you're talking about 
Court Williams maybe being your two there. Bryson Shaw being your two at the other spot. A, a guy who is is now a little bit more proven, a little bit more experienced, and seems very suited to be a, a solid backup for this team. And that that just seemed this this is all kind of falling into place how you might have expected. I mean, we probably did. I don't remember. Did we when we did the depth chart? Did we? I think this is maybe even how I drew it up. I can't remember if I had I or if if McAllister was the nickel and those two guys were the starting safeties. But that seems just like the most obvious solution right now. That's I, I would expect that to be that way on opening day. Bottom line is the way Ryan Day talked about it on Monday. I think they feel good about corner and safety. So that's progress. Because as Jim Knowles said, this is a safety-driven defense. We know the issues at corner last year. Those are five really important spots, and they feel like they have not just starters, but also backups they believe in there. Listen, it's one of those things. Bryson Shaw is a great backup. For as much as like we sort of talked about, I don't if he's he's your number two, because he's done it. So if something goes wrong, you can put Bryson Shaw in the game. He's not scared. He's not uncertain. But if you're trying to win a national championship and have a top 20 defense, maybe you need a guy a step above him as a starter. So stuff, I think, is falling into place. Stuff is getting locked in on the defensive side of the ball. Let's flip the offense. We might go a little quicker on offense. Quarterback, we're going to talk to the quarterbacks on Wednesday. So C.J. Stroud's the starter. Kyle McCord's the backup. Devin Brown is the third string. Steven, you made a couple observations, I think, about McCord and Brown that are probably worth conveying, but we don't need to spend too much time here. Yeah, that's the order. I think they rotated in uh, Devin Brown with the twos a little bit just to get him a little bit of work. That's not just like scout team work. Um, Kyle McCord looked a little bit more comfortable out there in year two into the program. Uh, both had some good moments. Both had some bad moments. Devin Brown clearly looked like a true freshman still learning the, the playbook. My favorite part of it all was like seeing Ryan Day, the quarterback coach, in action with Corey Dennis, the guy who's like check says he's the quarterback coach. Very good cop, bad cop, where it's like Ryan Day is going to chew you out and curse you out in front of everybody when you're not doing things the right way or when you make a bad read or you don't have a good explanation for why you made a certain read. And then Corey Dennis isn't so much like, hey, it's okay, you'll get him next time. It's more like he saw somebody else get chewed out and the other two who aren't get get in the game get a more PG version of this is why you don't do this, that, and the third. So it's interesting seeing that dynamic. But, yeah, it's pretty simple. C.J. Stroud was picking apart a defense, and Kyle McCord and Devin Brown had their moments. All right, running back. Is it Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, Evan Pryor? What's that? What did you learn about any kind of rotation there behind the starter? Um, They rolled a little bit, but here's what I've got to say about it. Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are the starting running backs, and Evan Pryor is the backup running back. And I think what it more is, though, is – Travion Henderson rolled with CJ Stroud, and then he maybe had a couple of snaps with Kyle McCord. Mayan Williams and Evan Pryor rolled regardless of who the quarterback is. So while Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams will probably, I don't think it'll be a series by series things, but those are the two running backs who get used. It's clearly a situation where Travion Henderson, for every five carries he gets, Mayan maybe gets two. What's your read of that, Nathan, those three guys? Yeah, I, th- this makes the most sense. I mean, I think that's – we'll see. My assumption of the split is going to be maybe something akin to the 2019 setup between Dobbins and Teague, where you've got one guy who's clearly the lead back in in Travion Henderson, and then Teague 
is the 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 guy who just spells him for a series in the first half or whatever, and then puts the game away in the second half. And then Pryor mixes in a little bit more after that. But I don't know how much I think of Evan Pryor being a um, first half, like game on the line kind of player yet, just because they have two such proven entities ahead of him. Receiver feels like four guys. They like Jackson mm-hmm. Smith and Jigba is probably the best receiver in college football. Marvin Harrison, Jr. Julian Fleming, Emeka Egbuka. Steven, what did we learn about how they might deploy those four? Because those are the four who are ready to roll. Marvin at X, Julian at Z, Jackson's in the slot. Um, they're going to be putting him in pre-snap motion a lot because we mm. saw that a lot of you know periods where it's like they would bring him in, bring him back out. It was almost as if he would do something differently after he'd go pre-snap motion as if like, okay, we know they're in man. I'm going to do this. Okay. They're in zone. We're going to do this. And now the play snapped and you know, we all know how option routes work and now he's got option routes. It's just, you asked a day to day about, you know, CJ and, and Luke Whipper's IQ. I think I'm going to throw Jackson into that as, as mm-hmm. well. When you've got a center, a quarterback and a wide receiver all on the same page like that, what happens? And it's almost, I'm going to, that's how I'm going to spend my Wednesday asking CJ Stroud questions about that type of stuff. Um, but that was interesting to me. So Jackson kind of does what he wants out there. Um, Marvin's the X. Those are wide receiver one and two whenever they went two tight end sets. So that's clear. We don't have to speculate about that anymore. But I did see some times when like Emeka rotated in as a Z, but he also would t- have time in the slot. So it seems like we see this with the offensive line a lot where you have a two deep but it's really just like this is your sixth offensive lineman. He can be a swing tackle. The starters are Marvin Harrison, Julian Fleming, and Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and Emeka can play all three positions. That's interesting. So I think the two things that stand out are quite a thing for Marvin Harrison Jr. to be the second receiver. Yeah. That's a big deal because they do like to go 12 at times. So congratulations to Marvin Harrison Jr. on coming here and getting after it. And the idea that, Nathan, there's four and that Emeka Egbuka maybe is the backup at all three spots and will have a sort of utility player type of role that could lead to some numbers for him. That's an interesting development, but it seems like probably where they are. Yeah, I think the, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but I like, I wouldn't dismiss that Emeka Egbuka is one of this team's three best receivers. And that conversation I think is going to extend into the fall. But I think what Steven's saying is correct too, that that's also a pretty natural solution to this, that he's just the guy who he's the, he's the um, Mayan Williams of the running backs or the receivers in some ways. Like he's just the guy that's going to spell everybody for one series in the first half or something like that. I think that's plausible too, or whoever the fourth receiver is does something like that, but he's the one who almost is the most natural at it because he can play all those positions. I think more naturally, certainly than Marvin Harrison and, and probably even Julian Fleming could. So just keeping him, it just seems like a waste to keep him as just Jackson Smith and Jigba's backup in the slot. Like that doesn't seem like the solution, right? That seems like too good of a player, too dynamic of a player to limit to only that role. I know he's also going to be on kick returns. I know, I think we've even seen him take some punt return reps, but like he needs to be more involved in the offense than that, than just being a second string guy. I think that's been proven. The catch he had, the Rose Bowl, I know that the way CJ Stroud threw that ball was a lot of it, but I thought that was a little bit of a hint. And certainly what he did on in that, that one handed grab he made the other day, it just, there's something there. Yeah, no, I, I don't even know if utility is the right word because that almost makes it seem like he's only playing because the other one of the other three is tired. Like he's going to play and like get the ball. 
just as much as Jewel out. I'd say he gets the ball just as much as whoever the third receiver is at this point, whether it's, it's probably, I'll say Jackson leads the team and then Marvin's second. And then like Julian and Emeka, their numbers might be similar. I could see Julian starting every week and Emeka Buka still ending up with more catches just because of the role that he plays. Well, and Nathan, when you say Emeka Buka might be one of their three best receivers, you mean compared to Julian Fleming, you don't mean that he's going to pass Marvin Harrison. So, I mean, like that could be now Emeka. Yeah. Emeka is more versatile. So I do think Emeka, I don't think you can play Julian or Marvin in the slot with any kind of consistency, but Jackson's not going to leave the field. So the fact that we did see, you know, whatever we might've wondered in the off season, oh, is Jackson going outside to clear a spot for Emeka? It's like, no, the stuff they showed with Emeka playing some outside receiver in the Rose bowl. That's that because he can be everywhere now. And I do think Steven, it's like, to your point, there is a role for him, but it, it also is. I mean, it's, he can sort of come in when somebody's tired. That can be the impetus, but they also could be like, we got to get him on the field, but it's not mm-hmm. even going to be serious to serious. It's going to be like, Hey, we just asked Marvin to run a 60 yard fly route on the last snap. And he's yep. asked a Mecca's coming in, but it's always going to be a Mecca because I do think as as deep as they have been in their receive. It's funny how this works. I like podcasts because we get to talk about stuff, but then sometimes you end up talking about things that are like, well, that didn't really turn out to be true. Cause it's always like, well, too many receivers, too many receivers. What are they going to do? And actually, they're not short, but who's their fifth receiver? Like, you're not. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like, hey, if you went to, like, any other program in the country, it's like, man, how about Ohio State? They're not sure who their fifth receiver is. And the coach would be like, shut up. Shut your face. I can't find. Even Nick Saban would say, shut your face. So their fifth receiver is a little, if, you know, again, if, 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 if Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka are on a bicycle built for two and it gets sucked up to the alien mothership, it's like, well, who's your third receiver next week? I'm not exactly sure. They're not short, but they also aren't exactly nine deep right now in that room. In the grand plan that they set up three years ago, if we had been having a weird conversation like, well, in the middle of April of 2022, who do you think we're talking about as Ohio State's fifth receiver? I think we might have said G. Scott. And now he's in a different room playing a different position. Right. No, so it, it, no. Or Mookie Cooper. I or think. Mookie. Yeah. No. I but think, even, even after that. No, I think what now would we be talking about had Jamison Williams developed a little quicker and maybe not been whatever happened there. It's. You just would have lost all three of your starting receivers after this season. And then it's just been Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison, Jr., Jackson Smith, the Jigma still as their starters. And then it had just been a Mecca, Buka, Jaden Ballard. And actually, no, I think you still end up right here where your starters are who they are. And then it's just a Mecca, Buka's the guy. And then fifth is Jaden Ballard. And you're wondering who the other X receiver is. You think Fleming or Buka would be starting over Jamison Williams? No, no he wouldn't. Saying- I'm saying they all three would have left. Uh, but we okay. wouldn't have known about Jackson the way we know about. Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. There, we just, there, we would just be like, Oh, it's all uncertain. It's all talented, but uncertain as opposed yeah. to be like, well, well, the one guy is the best receiver in the country. And then it's uncertain. Um, I do think if I were doing like, if you were like a national college football writer, it was like things that might hold national title contenders back from winning a national title. I do think Ohio state's fifth receiver spot would be the <laughs> thing. You'd be like, I don't know. Tight end. We've talked and written a lot about tight end. Cade Stover's physicality is going to help them there. They're talented there. They're not 
tough enough there because those guys just aren't used to doing what they're asking to do them. We've talked a lot about Cade Stover. We know Joe Royer's in that mix. We know that G Scott was out at the practice that you watched on Saturday, Stephen, just like a, give us the 30 seconds on the tight ends. Yeah. Cade Stover and Joe Royer, they rolled when it was just one tight end. When it was two tight ends, they were both in the game. Cade as the inline guy and Joe Royer as the receiving tight end. So I, I put an and for that one. Cause you know, they used multiple tight ends. And then Sam Hart was the guy who was rolling with the twos, even though they did roll in Bennett Christian at some times. Um, but yeah, that's, I think how that's going to be. It's just Kate Stover and Joe Royer are going to get the snaps there. And then the second string guys will be Sam Hart. And um, I don't want to stretch on who will join well, him in that second string. Right listen, now. We don't like to talk about transfers. G Scott, I'm sure maybe is not thrilled that like Kate Stover is back at yeah. tight end. If, if Cade Stover and Joy Roy, Joe Royer seem like the first two guys up at tight end, G. Scott's a talented guy, Nathan. Who knows what's going to happen, right? But I do think there are probably guys on the roster right now who maybe aren't going to be on the roster in August because guess what? It's college sports and guys can transfer. So that tight end room, who, who knows? I just think when you look at a world where it felt like maybe coming into the spring, Nathan, Felt like, man, who's going to be the tight end? It's like, well, maybe G Scott has a real chance. He had that whole transitional year. And now here we are. Cade Stover's back at tight end. It feels like Joe Royer's sort of the next man up at the moment. Who knows? This is another one of those instances where we're like parsing language. And like Kevin Wilson on a few instances has said something along the lines of, well, G Scott might be like our best like technique blocker. But I'm starting, does that mean that doesn't mean he's actually blocking anybody. Right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like he may just not be there physically yet. Cause he kind of has hinted at that. It's it. He's such a um, unknown at this point because he obviously, you know, he got into some mop-up games last year. He had some catches. Um, he has, he really has more experience than Royer does at this point, as far as like actually getting into games, getting on the field. But if he doesn't have that prototypical tight end body, that they need to, to be able to go up and, and block at the big 10 level, the the playoff level, then I think it's going to be tough for him to get on the field. I also think though, again, as a guy who came in in 2020, he didn't redshirt that year, but because he played too many games, but it's essentially a redshirt year. And especially when you're switching positions, the patience could really pay off for him. But in another way, does he ever become that inline tight end that they need him to be? And how much of a role is there to be a kind of, pass-catching specialist tight end in this offense. And that's the thing. Cage Stover is not the one in his way if he's the why. Joe Royer is in his way. And they're the same recruiting class. And you just mentioned that he got more snaps than Joe Royer did last year. So this isn't a case of, oh, man, Cage Stover came back. Now I don't have a spot. It's like, no, you were ahead of Joe Royer heading into the 2021 season, even though you just got there, and now you're not. Well, but if they didn't have Cade Stover, then it might have just been like they were going to have to play those two yeah. guys as your inline tight ends. Listen, Mitch Rossi's going to have a role. I think they sometimes overstate Mitch Rossi's role, but um, G Scott's probably too talented to wait forever. It's just like if if you have a guy in a third year who's a little bit caught in between, and you're wondering about his future. You know, if he's a top 100 recruit, I think he's maybe less likely to sort of hang around and let things play out than if he's a recruit in the 300. So I think he's a really good football player, and I think he cares a lot about football, and he's really smart about football, and his family's smart about football. And so who knows what's going to happen, but he was not there uh, in the mix on Saturday. It could be nothing. I mean, I guess Ryan said, they said he goes back on Monday. Maybe next time, maybe he'll run up the spring game. Who knows? Offensive line, probably the 
most uh, uncertain group on the second team. I don't even know if we need to spend any time on the first team. You guys know who it no. is. So who's the second team offensive line, Stephen, that you saw? and What does it tell us? So here's what I saw. Donovan Jackson was at left tackle. So that's there's some real stuff there. Left guard was Toby Wilson, the walk on who was offensive coordinator, Kevin Wilson's son. The backup center is Jacob James. That makes sense. He was the backup last year. Uh, well, technically speaking, Matthew Jones was before the second of a death chart. It was Jacob James. Enoch Famahi was at right guard and right tackle was Grant Tutat, who is a third year guy, one of the developmental guys from the 2020 recruiting class. Here is what I take away from that. Offensive linemen uh, six and seven are a healthy Josh Fryer and Enoch Famahi. I would think that Enoch Famahi is the swing guy interior. So if something were to happen to Donovan or Matthew, they just plug him in real quick. And the same thing would work at tackle where it's like probably Josh Pryor's if something happens to Paris or Dewan for a snap, depending on who you think is better between Josh Fryer and Enoch Vamahi, maybe you swing Donovan Jackson out to left out the tackle real quick and plug in Enoch Vamahi on the interior, or you just keep Donovan Jackson where he's at for the sake of continuity and you plug in Josh Fryer at tackle at one of the two tackle spots. You give Enoch Vamahi some credit for being a guy who has has stuck around and has um, made himself valuable by going where they need him to like he was getting he was a backup tackle last year even though that's not really his body size and not really his most natural fit so I I give him some credit for a guy who's doing what he can to try to be the answer to a I don't know if you call it a problem but it's certainly a uh, uh, I don't know if you call it a weakness but it's just an area of of it's there right that this team just isn't anywhere near as deep on the offensive line as it was a year ago so this is where from a football standpoint the loss of Harry Miller shows up a little bit because if Harry Miller was maybe going to be a starter and then now you really believe if Matthew Jones or Donovan Jackson's your sixth guy, you really believe in that guy. Again, let's go through and say, oh, Ohio State, their seventh offensive lineman. Mike. I do think, Nathan, they had a stretch for a while because I can remember when uh, somebody got hurt finally on the offensive line and it was like, man, that was their first offensive line injury in like five years. If one of the, I think they feel really good about their first five. It wouldn't be a weakness. If one of the first five got abducted by aliens, I think we'd all do a little bit like, Hmm. And I think the coaches would too. Yes. I, I think that is true. I think even if Josh Fryer were healthy right now, that would be true. And it says something that, you know, Donovan Jackson his best chance at great success in 2022 is to be at guard. And it says something that they are so concerned about the depth situation that, because you're weakening yourself at probably two spots, even though we think that there it's plausible that he could play left tackle. He's not as good a left tackle as either Paris Johnson or Dewan Jones would be. So if you're moving him over, if you're moving Donovan Jackson over, you're making yourself weaker at left tackle and the guard spot that he's vacating, or you're moving Dewan Jones to left tackle, you're making yourself weaker at right tackle. It's maybe that would actually be the better solution there in the long run because you're only probably weakening yourself at one spot instead of two. We do want to remember that this time a year ago, there was like a four second flash of Josh Fryer with the first team offensive line, and people were like, ah, Josh Fryer. Josh Fryer's not here. And so um, he will be one of the most important guys that should be back in August that isn't here now because 
he feels like a guy who, along with Lamahi, is most capable of answering some of the questions with second team offensive line uh, when he returns and, and he'll be back. All right. I think that was a good football breakdown from what Steven witnessed, what we learned from Saturday basketball ahead. Who's ahead in our bracket. And what do you people think of Thad Mata being the new coach at Butler next on Buckeye talk. Back on Buckeye talk, little hoops talk here at the end. Thad Mata hired as a new coach at Butler. Over the weekend, kind of interesting. I mean, kind of interesting. It's very interesting. Chris Holtman, five years ago, Thad Mata gets fired at Ohio State. Chris Holtman gets hired from Butler to come to Ohio State. Butler hires Lavelle Jordan, former player at Butler. He's there five years. He gets fired. Now Thad Mata is hired. So it's basically five years later, a Holtman for Mata swap. Thad, as you know, a one-year coach at Butler. Played there, transferred to Butler as a player, uh, played coached one year at Butler was so good. He got the Xavier job, then came to Ohio state. I asked this question, which is closest to your feeling about Thad Mata taking the Butler job. These are the choices I gave our texters. I said, don't care much. I root for Ohio state. I said, happy for Mata. Hope he does well there, but it was time for him to go when Ohio state let him go. And I said, kind of wishing Mata was still at Ohio state. Steven, what do you think won among the texters? Don't really care. Good luck, but kind of, you know, this was the right deal. Or, oh, now I'm having sad pangs now that he's back on the sideline. Definitely bad pangs now that he's back on the sideline. What do you think, Nathan? Yes, same. No, happy for him, but time. 69% happy for him, but it was time for him to go. 24% kind of wishing Mata was still here. 7% don't care, root for Ohio State. So, again, it's one of those. We know we, we know what the deal is, I think. I am curious, Stephen, the idea that, like, because could go one of two ways. Chris Holtman has been battling the ghost of Thad Mata since he got here. Now the ghost, again, the boogeyman's out of the forest. He's real now. So if Thad's good at Butler right away and it's like, oh, well, Butler's Butler's better than Ohio State. Chris Holtman's going to be like, are you kidding me? Seriously? Or it might be that Thad Mata at Butler is not as good as Chris Holtman was at Butler. And it's certainly not as good as Chris Holtman is at Ohio State. And then Chris Holtman could be like, see, see, see. So how do you think Chris Holtman feels about this? Or maybe he just doesn't care. I'm just doing my job. I mean, it's definitely like, in the back of his head a little bit. I don't know if it's on the forefront of his mind, but if I wanted to have an off the record conversation with him, I definitely would. He would probably, he would acknowledge the fact that he knows fans are, there are some small amount of fans who are like, can we, can we trade back? Can we trade back coaches? Because we even got a texture when it first happened. That was like, so who gets to a sweet 16 first, Thad Mata Butler or Chris Holtman at Ohio state. And I don't know if I know the answer to that question. The, the hard thing Nathan, is that the fat, the fad mata that is going now to Butler isn't the fad mata that Ohio State parted ways with. You have to assume that fad has done something to feel better physically. I do think it probably is different. He can regional recruit more at Butler, where at Ohio State, you better be beating the bushes for five stars all over the country. His back is an issue. His back is never going to be completely healed. That's the whole thing. That they, he had a surgery. 
something didn't go well in the surgery and he's, he has this issue for the rest of his life. He's not urban. He's not urban in the, I can't stay away. Oh my God, this is a terrible idea, but I can't help myself kind of thing. But he's only 54. I think he's a very young man in the profession. He's had five years off. A lot of times it's like, oh, I feel great. It's like, yeah, you feel great because you haven't been coaching for five years. So we'll have to see how he feels now. But he's a good basketball coach, Nathan. I don't know that anybody ever disputed that he's a good basketball coach. Two things happen at the end. One is the health issue was real and it affected his ability to do his job at the highest level. The other is I thought at the time, I'm hard on assistant coaches. You guys know that. I thought his assistants let him down because it's like, hey, he's Thad Mata and his back doesn't work. Can you guys go recruit and yeah. tell the people out there that he's Thad Mata? He's not here right now. I thought his assistants let him down. So how do you view this, Nathan, through your basketball lens? Well, no, I, I definitely agree with that last point. Like, I'm, if you're an assistant coach and you're not recruiting, that's it's more than half your job that really isn't getting done, probably, really. I know you got to develop players, too, but especially in basketball, like I, you, you've got to go – you, you've got to be the ones putting the uh, the rubber to the road a little bit. They need someone at Butler who has, I think, both perspectives here. That has the Butler perspective, but then also has the wider perspective and has the, especially the success of how to get, the perspective of how to get to that success. And I think it's, to, to expect him to do at Butler what he did at Ohio State is, is, probably too much it, only when i go back and very very occasionally have to write something about that mata maybe this is the only time since i've been here actually but then you you go through the list and you're like reminded of just how good they were just how like relentlessly good they were for the bulk of his his tenure here so i think you're right that it, unlike if it, you, there's two ways to win at butler and i think the guy who did it better than anyone else and brad stevens i think was a very unique case because he didn't necessarily out recruit these the other powers in Indiana, but he was Brad Stevens. He could do it a different way. And Mata's a great basketball coach too, but I think he's going to have to, as you say, like they've got to go find players and um, whatever staff he puts together is going to be pretty critical here. It's also, it helps a little bit when, you know, some skinny kid just randomly develops into a lottery pick in an NBA all-star that always helps you out too. That'd be Gordon Hayward, skinny, skinny. Yeah. Gordon Hayward. So the thing that I have said before, and I know people think I'm a fat apologist. Do you understand why Ohio State parted with the fat modic? Yes. I talk about Matt Painter a lot. I like Matt Painter. Ohio State in the last four years of Thad Mata won one NCAA tournament game. They lost in the first round to Dayton. Then they won one game in D'Angelo Russell's year and lost in round two. Then they missed the tournament, went to the NIT, and then in his last year, they had a terrible year, 17 and 15, 7 and 11 in the Big Ten. And there were the recruiting issues that also sort of sealed the deal there. Darius Baisley decommitted a couple other guys. But that Notre Dame had a kid who was committed here. Who's the kid? He was on the team still this year. He's a fifth-year guy from, from Ohio who decommitted at Dane somebody. Dane Goodwin was committed to Ohio State, decommitted when Thad left and went and was like a starter for Notre Dame. Anyway... I always note this. It's just a note. Matt Painter in the, okay, he had a rough first year at Purdue. And then the next six years at Purdue, they made the tournament every year and they won eight tournament games. So every year they won at least one game and twice they made the sweet 16. Then Matt Painter hit a, a gap where 
Purdue did not win an NCAA tournament game for four years. They missed it. They missed it. They lost in the first round. They lost in the third round. They call that the Nathan Baird era of Purdue basketball. I was the anchor dragging them back down to the bottom of the Big Ten. Purdue didn't fire him. His bad four years are pretty comparable to Thad Mata's bad four years. Purdue didn't fire Matt Painter. And then Matt Painter came back after not winning a tournament game for four years. Sweet 16, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, COVID, lost in the first round, Sweet 16. So in the five tournaments, since he didn't win a game in the NCAA tournament for four years, in the five tournaments since then, he's made the Sweet 16 four times. I don't think that was impossible under Thad Monnet. Now, the health issues complicated everything. They had the recruiting class that blew up and everybody left. Darius Baisley decommitted and they said that was it. But coaches, if you stick with them when they're good, sometimes they have a renaissance. I think Thad got some bad assistance in there. Bowles left, a couple other guys. John Gross, who was his early guy, left. And I think he made some bad hires. And they let him down. You stick with Thad. You revamp the staff. You tell you get three gung-ho recruiters and say, get out there and tell people this is Ohio State. I don't think it's impossible that it could have worked. So when people say, oh, they had no choice, everybody forgets. Let's not act like every coach who hits a bad four-year run after they've had more success than the program's ever seen gets fired. That was the reality at Ohio State. Thad's a good coach. Is Thad Mata, when healthy, a better coach than Chris Holtman? Yes, in my opinion. Are you getting 100% Thad Mata right now at this stage in his life? No, you're not. You're not getting peak Thad. So the comparison is not peak Thad to peak Holtman. It's this Holtman to this Thad. Who's better? I don't know. But it might be Thad. And this now, I do think it's a fair comparison. And Chris Holt, I mean, I I kind of feel bad for Chris Holtman because he's a pretty good coach. And this is a pretty good program. They just haven't gotten over the top and built the capital that you need early in your career. But this is kind of nuts, right, Stephen? I mean, bottom line, it's just, it's a goofy little thing that happened. So the inner connections between Butler and Ohio State. They literally just traded coaches and just, there was like a fire. It's like, it's like one team traded for a draft pick. And they just kept pushing back when the draft pick was yeah. going to get used. And so now instead of it, be, it's a it, well, Holtman got here in 2017. So they traded Chris Holtman for a 2022 draft pick. And it's now paying off with a coach who also happened to be there before. So, yeah, to my point, I'll, I'll keep saying this. It's, it's a joke, but it's not. It would very it would be very good to Chris Holtman's mental health if he gets to a sweet 16. Before Thad Mata does, just for the sake of not having to hear a, fa- a fan base wishing for Thad Mata to come back. So let's ask where how much they're wishing for it right now. We'll wrap this up. These are the two questions, guys, I asked. Which coach would you rather have for Ohio State right now as they are? Holtman or Mata? Nathan, who do you think won? Mata. Steven? After the... The way you told us the, the the percentages worked out with the first one, I'll say Holtman. So you can send this poll to Chris Holtman, Stephen. Maybe this will make him <laughs> feel better. 69% Chris Holtman. Yeah. Okay. 69% Chris Holtman, 31% Thad Mata. This one, eh, not as good. Expanding the field slightly, which coach would you rather have for Ohio State basketball right now as they are? These were the choices. Chris Holtman, Thad Mata, Jeff Bowles, the coach at Ohio U, who's a former Ohio State assistant, a Mata guy, 
or another gettable qualified coach of your choice. So, Stephen, those four choices, who do you think won? Jeff Bowles. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of wanted to be the winner here. Nathan, who do you think won? I think it might be that anonymous fourth one, the unspecified fourth one. Strong push from an unspecified coach to be named later. Chris Holtman still wins, not with the majority, with the plurality. Chris Holtman, 44%. Another gettable qualified coach of your choice, 36%. So pretty close. Thad Mata, 12. Jeff Bowles, 8. Okay, cool. So in, in when we sort of opened up the field, 56% picked someone other than Chris Holtman. Because um, they could get somebody. It's like, you know. They're not going to get Brad Stevens to leave being GM of the Celtics to come here. They're not going to get Billy Donovan to leave the Chicago Bulls to come here. But, you know, I mean, this is a, a guy, a good guy, a good person. Don Staley. I'd take Don Staley tomorrow. Good What? One. What? As tomorrow? a men's coach. L- as a yes. men's coach at Ohio State. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. You want to write that. Do you want, want 30,000 views why Ohio State should have hired Don <laughs> Staley as the next coach of the men's basketball program? She's unbelievable. Oh, so, my. I'm all in. I mean, I'm all in on Don. The, sw- the swag alone will raise the recruiting. My God, the swag. I could never go to a news conference because my swag would be so far below this, the threshold that they would lock, they would block the door. Um, correct. What a game that was. Yeah. Destiny Henderson. Are you kidding me? A career high at the end of a four year career, a career high in the national championship game that your team wins. 26 points. Unbelievable. What a performance for South Carolina. Yeah. That was really good for women. That was great for women's basketball last night. First UConn loss in an NCAA tournament final. Unbelievable. Um, so anyway, that's where we are with that. Mata. I like, I like getting the vibe from the people. Cause you, again, we all might've guessed, Oh, everybody wants that. Nope. It's seven to 70% still take Chris Holtman over Thad Mata. Ohio state, one of eight programs to have a tournament level team the last five years. They've just got to get over the hump. And uh, I think it's good to see Thad back on the sideline. I hope his health uh, allows him to coach the way he wants to coach. But um, when you are in that situation and it, we can't act like, what do you think Bobby Bowden's assistants were doing at Florida? Like, right. I mean, Thad's body has kind of let him down earlier than it should for a guy in his mid fifties. Cause he, it's not his fault. Oh. He had a back surgery, but your assistants have to be your eyes and ears out in the world a little bit more Then that's all right, but they've got to do it. And I don't think the Ohio state guys here did it. Well, and, and Coach K, like he's clearly not been in good health for mm-hmm. several years now, and they were just, mm-hmm. you know, on the cusp of getting back to a championship game. So, all right, that'll do it. Um, Tuesday, we're going to do, based off the Carolina Duke Final Four, what if Ohio, Ohio State and Michigan met in the playoff? What would you guys think of that? Wednesday, be a lot of quarterback talk. We're going to be able to talk to C.J. Stroud again. Kyle McCord will be an interesting guy to talk to. Devin Brown, maybe, but a lot of linebackers too. So those are the next two podcasts. We appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your week. Try the text at 614-350-3315. And don't forget the College Football Survivor Show where Shahan J. Haraja and I chop it up. Buckeyes certainly included in that conversation. We did a pod uh, last week running back Mount Rushmore for the college football playoff. That was for Apple Podcast subscribers. Guess who was first? It was Ezekiel Elliott, of course. He has the two best single game rushing marks 
in the playoff are his two playoff games. Of course, he's the best running back in the history of the playoff. <laughs> Four, Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.